last week in going through Peter, and I say this because I feel like I'm repetitive a lot of times, but when you're going through a book or a text and you take some time to go through it, you want to bring forth the whole text of the chapter or the book. If you remember when we started First Peter, we talked about the elect of God chosen in Christ, being touched of God, brought to God, sanctified, made holy, and having a hope, an earnest expectation that when this world is over, we'll stand in God with glory. And we talked back there about the sufferings of Christ and the glory that should follow that came unto you here in the church today in the knowledge of Jesus Christ that is revealed to us by God the Father, through God the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Keep the text in memory as you go through a book. We're stones, we're built up a spiritual house to God. We are the church, you are the church. It's not the building, it's the people. We're appointed under this, just as we're appointed to eternal life, as Paul said, First Thessalonians 5. This is an appointment of God. He's made us kings and priests unto Himself. We reign over sin and death in this world, so we're kings, we're priests, because we're enabled to worship God. Since the fall of Adam, man has been apart from God. Christ had made atonement for our sins and brought us back to God. Last week we talked about living in this world. Now you remember this text, and we're going to come back to it, especially in the next chapter. It's about the sufferings of God's children in this world in which we lived and the sufferings of the Christ of God. And I do ask for your prayers. I neglected to do that. But... We all need prayer to stand before you and try to preach unto you the gospel of Jesus Christ. The text is going to lead us to our suffering in this world. We talked last week about submitting ourselves to the king and governors and those around us and how we are to live in this world. made mention last week that God instituted government, God gave the law to a nation of Israel, which was a physical nation. Uh, Moses appointed magistrates. The purpose of that was to reign over people in what I would use my words and call a theocracy. Many want a theocracy today, but God forbid that we had evil men ruling over us in a theocracy. Where would we be? We'd be in great persecution as those in other lands. The church is the kingdom of God. It's our home. It's our country. It's a taste of home above. It's come down from God to us. Come down from heaven to us. It's the kingdom of God where we live and reign. We still submit to the law. We still submit to governors and kings. But our allegiance is to God. I read somewhere at one point or another that that God is my only sovereign and Christ is my only King. And while that is true, that is so very true, it's given to the Father that we are to submit ourselves for the peace of society and the peace of God's children under government. And government is to be a terror to evil. We came through with that, and I'm going to start in verse 18 because we stopped in verse 20. Because it's quite apparent here, and there's no way to change it, that the Apostle Peter is speaking of servants and slaves. We don't have slavery in this country anymore. It's in other parts of the world. The Bible does not condone slavery. I've heard people make the argument that it does. But if, if we love each other with brotherly love, and we love each other as Christ has loved us, slavery's out the window. It's not going to exist. But Christ came into this world to take away the first and establish the second. He took away the service of the law and He established the service and the church of grace. 
the grace of God, the truth of God, which is in Christ. I say that to make the point. Christ did not come into this world and change governments of men. He did not come to change our job that we work daily or occupation. When God brought me in the ministry, I prayed for years, Lord, let me leave this job and find something more suitable that would have less of a conflict on my soul than law enforcement, but that never came about. Making the point, Christ did not come into the world to change our society, profession, government, and these sorts of things. Christ did not come into the world, let me be blunt, to take away slavery. He redeemed us from the curse of the law. We're no more slaves to the law, under the law, because we're now dead to sin, Romans 6, because He died for us and paid our sin debt did not change the fact that in that day and age, in that land, there were slaves. The Jews had been slaves for many generations because of their sins. There were slaves, there were servants in the land. Understand that. This is not political correctness. This is how man in his depraved nature is. And there were slaves. So Peter is telling them, because Christ did not come to take away their bondage between them and their Master, He didn't didn't take away, I'll use mine, and I wanted to leave many times, my profession that I was in. I finished that by the grace of God, and now we live on that retirement, and I'm thankful for it. But my point is that He didn't come to change earthly things because His kingdom is from above. And there were slaves and there were servants. And Peter is telling these people, be subject to your masters. Those that own you, no matter what the circumstances are, whether it's a penalty under law that you're indebted to these people for not paying bills, whether you're born in bondage because your mother and father were a slave, and so you being born by the law of that nation at that time, you belong to whoever owned your mother and father. I'm not condoning slavery. I'm telling you facts and what He's written by inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Because the Lord is not concerned with earthly things, with things of man. The Lord is concerned with things in heaven, with things that are glorifying to the Lord Jesus Christ, the purpose of Christ, and the election of grace, and the church of God, which is here in this world, and is to serve the Lord Jesus Christ. And in our suffering, that's what He's telling us how to do and how to profit in godliness in the kingdom of God, no matter what the condition is around us, when slavery in this nation was abolished, the oldest Baptist church in Alabama, Flint River, had more slaves in their congregation or former slaves than they did people who had been born free and were not at one time in bondage. Just making a point of servants and what we're told to do. Servants be subject to your masters with all fear. 1983, I began the police academy in Selma. My captain, Jamie Todd, told me, he said, I work for the state of Alabama. My boss pays me good money. If my boss tells me to get a sledgehammer, start taking this building apart brick by brick, then that is what I'm going to do. What's the moral of the story? Do what it is your job to do. Do, in that essence, what you're being paid to do. He says, be subject to your masters. Even though we don't agree with it, it was a fact that slavery existed. 
And he says, be subject to your masters with all fear. Being subject to a person, we fear God in a reverential fear. There are some that we fear as men because of what they are in our eyes and how we esteem them that we reverence them somewhat in fear. And the, and the sight, in my mind, I, re, I fear my wife because I reverence her. And we look at men that we've worked for or women and we reverence them. There are some that we fear, or they would have feared especially, because of the cruelty that they held. But bear in mind the two aspects of fear. Whichever it may be, be subject to your masters. You are in this state. We're in this state because of sin. The sin of Adam. Can't blame it on the Lord God. By one man, Adam, sin entered the world and death by sin and everything that comes in the vile nature of man through the rebellion of sin. I said last week and I'll say it again. I'm going to say it when we get to chapter 3. God made covenant with Adam. He did not make covenant with Eve. Eve was beguiled by the serpent. Yet Adam, whom God made covenant with, of his own free will, which is the only time we had it, rebelled against God and sin entered the world. Be subject to your masters with all fear, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the forward. I've worked for men I would have followed into the gates of hell because I in, in battle because I reverence them in such a way. They were so good to me I would have done anything legally they would have asked me or told me to do. And I've worked for others that I literally dreaded coming to work because I knew how they were. But yet, we go to work. We have to make a living. But above that, above that is its reverence to God. We are where we are in life and we are to live our life in reverence to God and doing all we can do, not in essence of the Master who owns us in the world, but because of the Master in heaven who loves us, suffered for us, saved us, and will deliver us. But he says, be subject to your masters with all fear, not only to the good and gentle masters, but also to the forward. For this is thankworthy, it's pleasing in God's eyes. If a man for conscience toward God endure grief. We live in a world that is dark and vile and perverse. There are three words that describe this world perfectly. It's filthy, it's vile, it's vain, it's dark. There is no light in it except Christ who is the light that lights His children. It is a vile place. We endure grief just by being in this world. The things that go on around us, the things are that accepted by society, I greatly sorrow for the things that are accepted of this generation today. I know for a fact because I was told that when I was young, the generation before me sorrowed because of the things we accepted. Because sin brings us down and we're not evolving, we're constantly devolving. We get lower and lower and lower back to the pit from which Christ has raised us up from. That's the nature of man. But it's thanks worthy if a man for conscience sake toward God endure grief. We suffer in this world by being exposed to these things. We are not here to fight battles with weapons. We fight with the Holy Spirit of God. 
We are here to suffer. For unto you it is given in the behalf of Christ not only to believe, but to suffer for His name's sake. Okay? It's given to us first and foremost. This is who He's talking to. Verse chapter 1, the elect of God. It's given to us to believe. How do we believe? Through the revelation of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. God reveals Himself to us, to Christ the Son, manifests the power and glory of the Father. So, we believe in Him. And we also, it is given unto us to suffer for His name's sake. A child of God is going to suffer in this world. If we were blessed beyond measure, if we never had a sin that bothered us constantly, if we never committed what we hold in our mind to be grievous sins to our body or society or the church especially, if we never had a sickness or a disease, living in this world, being a born again child of God in the church, trying to serve God, trying to learn more about God, and learning more and learning more, if we're blessed to draw nigh unto God with every step, and have no troubles that appears in life, it is still troubling because we suffer in this world of darkness. We have a hope within us, an earnest expectation, the earnest of the Spirit of God, the first fruit when God gives us life, desiring a home in heaven and immortal glory, the Spirit giving us faith, the Spirit giving us hope. And we suffer because we long to be there and away from this world of sin. Now, you put the other things that you face daily there and you think about how we suffer. But we do suffer. We do suffer. We don't take up the sword like the descendants of Muhammad and conquer nations. We're not taking up the sword like you're the Crusades going to conquer the Mohammedans. We're not defeating other nations because they are not followers of Christ. Because by the grace of God and the Spirit of God which leads us and the Scripture and the preaching of the Gospel, we understand that we are to be separate from the world. And have peace in Christ in this world. That's the battle that we fight. We could talk about Paul we have before, but just to mention the great Apostle Paul, the little short fat man with the bald hair, unibrow, he had the disease of his eyes that called him to bulge and shake. He was not a pretty little man. Okay? He had sufferings in his life which he bore to further the purpose of Christ in the Gospel. He was an apostle. He was sent. And he had many sufferings. God forbid that we have to undergo the sufferings such as this. Last year, when the same all in one day, my stepmom... Uh, had a heart attack. Josh's wife, Rebecca, had a wreck and hit a deer. One of my brothers was killed in a car wreck. Everything compounded in one day. The other brother was put in the hospital with COVID where he would die. And I prayed. I said, Lord, I am not Job. Please spare me. Because I cannot withstand this. The point being made, Job suffered greatly. We have sufferings in this world. Why do we suffer? Why do we suffer joyfully? What did Job say? Blessed be the name of the Lord. Because we suffer for God. We endure these things for the Gospel's sake. We endure these things for Christ's sake. And as we come down to the text in verse 20, because He 
suffered for us. I don't come to church to gain eternal life. I know, as you know, because God has revealed it to you. What did He say in Zechariah? Is it 12 and 10? My dyslexia gets in my way sometimes. For they shall look upon Me, Christ, God, whom they have pierced, they delivered Him up, and they shall mourn as one that mourneth for His only Son. When God reveals Christ to you in your heart and you are pricked in the heart, your heart melts, you see Jesus in His royalty without sin, high and lifted up upon the cross of Calvary, pierced because of your sin and my sin. And our heart mourns. When we see that, when we have Christ written upon our heart, and we understand the true Gospel of Jesus Christ, and why we suffer, not to gain eternal life, but because God has put us in the covenant of grace because we're included. It is His doing. It is His work. It is His choice. It was His blood that saved us. And for what glory is it if when you be buffeted for your faults, You take it patiently. Where's the glory? If I go out, I'll go back to childhood. I was a troublesome causing child. If we got out and did something we weren't supposed to do, and if they'd have known all I did, I'd have got a lot more whippings than I did, I promise you. But And you do something, and you offend, you disobey your father or your mother. You do better to disobey father because if you disobey your mother, she's going to tell you, Daddy, and he's going to wear you out worse. And that's the way it should be. That's chastening and love. I did this from time to time. Joshua was a pro at it when he was a child. Ben was stubborn. You had to lean on him a little bit. Josh got in trouble. He'd play on your emotions. I'm so sorry. I love you. Um, Spared his backside much. Where's the glory if we are chastened for our sin by the Lord and we joyfully accept it? We're due. We're due that punishment. The Lord chasteneth whom He loveth. I thank God He's gentle. And I thank God He's persistent. Where's the glory? Have you ever thanked God for chastening you? I have. Have you ever prayed to be chastened? I have. Because by the grace of God, I knew where I would have been and what I had to would have done had He not. The love of Christ constraineth us. Think about that. But my point is this. If we are chastened to the Lord and take it patiently, Lord, I know I deserve far worse. Where's the glory to God? There is some, yes. But watch this. But if when you do well and suffer for it, you take it patiently, this is acceptable with God. We don't have to draw pictures. We see this. 
A child of God gets up. Most, I know I don't every day, but most times I do. I did more when I worked. I did. I got up in the morning and prayed more when my feet hit the floor. When I worked and went through more persecution because of that and more suffering because of what I had to walk through, I prayed more. Perhaps that's one reason the Lord allows us, suffers us to suffer. That we seek His face more. That we pray more. That we seek to draw nigh unto Him. But when a child of God gets up in the morning, the routine we hold, we usually think of God, we pray to God, we go through the day with the Lord on our mind. One that has been in such heavy trials and temptations will pray constantly through the day, not on His knees, but walking around. I'm making the point of how we try to live in this world and we try to live godly. We try to be separate from the world, from the governments and institutions of man which are corrupt, from the things that are taught and accepted in the world, from the society and what they accept. We try to come to our brethren and sisters on the Lord's Day and worship and on the times that we have special meetings. We love the fellowship. We walk with God or we try to. Yes, we're sinners. We fall and God in His grace and mercy picks us up. But we strive and seek to walk by God's grace with Him. And we suffer. Because Satan walks about as a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. And we suffer. (coughs) But we take it patiently. Why are we not like Islam with a sword? Because we know that God is the judge and He does and He will judge righteously and that His enemies, which are our enemies, will one day be destroyed and that while we do live in this world, He makes a place for us to stand by and walk in the kingdom of God with God's people. If you take it patiently, if we walk in this dark world, as Paul said in one place, I believe, letting your light so shine that we shine as lights in the midst of this crooked and perverse generation. Living patiently ever looking for Christ. This is a hard thing with my stubborn flesh. But when we pray for our enemies, when we try to love in the scriptural way those without, that doesn't mean love them as a brother, that means feed them, clothe them, give them a drink when they're thirsty, Things are needful to the body. And when we love the brotherhood, walking with Christ in fellowship with the church, and we suffer patiently. This is acceptable with God. This brings glory to God. Because Christ is magnified in you. The work of Christ is manifested in you. The light of God shines forth from you. Not by your choice or your work or anything you did, but by Jesus Christ who suffered and bled and died for you. Now let's get to the sufferings of Christ. And this is acceptable with God. For even hereunto were ye called, Call to suffering. It's in Philippians chapter 1, I believe. I already mentioned it. For unto you it is given in behalf of Christ only to believe, but also to suffer for His name's sake. Nobody likes to suffer. The flesh despises it. But when we have seen Christ by revelation from God upon the cross of Calvary, the Lord of glory with nails through His hands and nails through His feet. 
beaten beyond recognition, hanging from the cross, unable to breathe because of the position He was hung, and would pull Himself up in great pain to gather air so that the man, Christ Jesus, could breathe. When God hath revealed that to us, which is His glory, and the very fact that He laid His life down and raised it up again for you and me, when we've seen that suffering is a joy to suffer for His sake. For herein too were ye called to believe, to be separate from this world, and to suffer. Because Christ also suffered for us. You know, we spent three weeks on the sufferings of Christ and glory that should follow. I can't begin to approach that again in such a short amount of time. I'm not going to re-preach three weeks over. Bear it in mind. The Son of God, the living Word of God was made flesh, came to this world in a body without sin, no committed sin, no sin of omission, no sin of inheritance because His Father was God and not man. His mother the virgin, Mary, and by the way, she was a sinner. But He came to this world and the glory that God had aside was beaten horrendously, nailed to a cross where He hung there until the time came that God appointed when He would lay His life down. For even here too were you called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example. Who did Christ suffer for? This is my thinking, and I believe I can prove it. The Son suffered for His Father. I came not to do mine own will, but the will of Him that sent me. The Son suffered for the Father. The Son suffered for His people. Hanging upon the cross of Calvary, the cruel tree, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. He gave eternal life to as many as God the Father gave Him. Who did He love? All that are contained in the election of grace. Well, preacher, how do I know if I'm, if I, if I'm in that number? Do you love God? He first loved you. You're in that number. Okay? Take that assurance. Yes, I said that word. First John, he says, that ye may know that ye have eternal life if ye believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. If God hath revealed Himself to you through Christ. For even hereunto were you called, Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that you should follow His steps. Now we, we are to love God above all things. Good Master, what good thing shall I do to inherit eternal life? Thou knowest the commandments. Love God first and foremost. Well, who is God? He's the Creator of heaven and earth. There is a Godhead. There are three that bear record in heaven. The Father, the Word, and the Holy Ghost. And these three are one. I and my Father are one. To love God. He's manifested to us through Christ. To love God. That's the first commandment. What's the second commandment? To love thy neighbor. As thyself. We get into the next chapter, you're going to see a little more than that. You're going to see not your neighbor, but you're going to see the first institution God created and how far man has come away from that, but how things are taught to be. 
Christ suffered for us, we should take His example and follow in His steps, loving God first and loving each other. When He was reviled, who did no sin? When He was reviled, He reviled not again. All of that in Isaiah 53 is speaking of the crucifixion of the Son of God. It begins back in 52, I believe about verse 13, don't quote me on that, where He's beaten beyond recognition. When He was beaten, His visage was so marred He couldn't see His face was beat. By His stripes are we healed. Those stripes were applied during His mock trial and His scourging. For He openeth not His mouth They accused Him falsely. They lied. They lied. They spit upon the Prince of Glory. They plucked off the hairs of His cheek. They placed a crown of thorns upon His head. All that's pertaining to the crucifixion. He who was on the cross, who did no sin, none inherited, none committed, no sins of omission, Perfection with God. Although His body became sin for us. Because it was imperative that He suffer for every sin we had committed. Don't tell me, I've, I've heard this before, I heard somebody say this at one of these so-called Bible studies I went to back in the 90s. Well, I, I, I don't sin. My very Existence is sin. Christ was nailed to the tree for me. He did no sin. His body became sin for us as He suffered the wrath of God for sin for us. Who did no sin? (coughs) Neither was guile found in His mouth. Don't you know I have the power to crucify you? Thou wouldst have no power over me at all except that we're given Thee. Who gave that power? God. That His Son would save His people from their sins and such a horrendous death. Who did no sin, neither was guile found in His mouth. Who when He was reviled, reviled not again. There upon the cross, as the self-righteous religious zealots of the day walked in front of Him. If thou be the Christ, come down from the cross. As the male factor would cry out, save thyself and us. Reviled. Yet he opened not his mouth. Why? Because they hated him without a cause. And his death, burial, and resurrection, and his suffering, his suffering without sin, his suffering, the living word, his suffering, made atonement. For us with God. He reviled not again. When he suffered, he threatened not. When they smote him, tell us who it is that smote thee. Oh, I can see my reaction. I'll find out and I'll see you again. That'd be my reaction. Christ didn't say, I know who did. He didn't say, I'll find out. He didn't say, I'll come back and cast you to the lake of fire. He opened not His mouth. Let that sink in. And how we, as God's children, and as we suffer in this world by the things around us, are to love those in the household of faith. To love our brethren and our sisters. Peter asked the Lord, Lord, if my brother, you catch the word brother, 
Born of God, brother, offend me. How many times should I offend him? Seventy. I mean, should I forgive him? Seventy times seven. We're talking about loving the Lord's people and suffering in this world and being at peace as much as we can with those without. But committed Himself to Him that judgeth righteously. Christ committing Himself to the Father in heaven. What was the last thing He said? Father, into Thy hands I commend My Spirit. Knowing that God is a God of judgment and righteousness, and that God through Christ would judge the world, and that those who were the enemies of God and the enemies of Christ would pay the debt owed. And now you hear this. People say, well, and I'm going to give you two examples. All them people that died in the flood in Noah's day went to hell. No, they did not. We'll get into that in the next chapter. Christ visited the spirits in prison before God flooded the earth. Christ visited all His people in the prison of darkness. Gave them life before He flooded the earth that they would be changed and be able to stand before God. Well, Sodom and Gomorrah was cast to hell. I don't believe that. God had people there. Jesus said, if the things I preached unto you were preached in Sodom and Gomorrah, they'd have repented by now. Those that say all those people that delivered Him up will be in hell. Brethren, I'm as guilty as anybody. My sin, and I base this on the fact that I love God, my sin nailed Him to the tree. There were those there that delivered Him up that stand with Him in glory. Who His own self bear our sins in His own body on the tree. During the three hours of darkness, the Lord hanged upon the tree. His body became sin. God cannot look upon sin. That's why darkness covered the earth. Not just Jerusalem, but the earth. Scientists want to bring this story out that there was a large volcano and ash covered that area. And no man could see because of the ash. It's not what the Bible says. The Bible says darkness covered the earth. Because the glory of God overshadowed the light of the sun and the moon and the natural light which God created. When the Son of Man's body nailed to the cruel tree was made sin for us when He was forsaken of the Father and God would not look upon Him for three hours, His body was made sin for us. He who knew no sin, He bare our sins in His own body on the tree, that we, being dead to sins, Romans 6, if I can catch that quick enough, I'm going to read a verse of it. Maybe two. Start with verse 1. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? What is He saying over here? That we being dead to sin should live unto righteousness. Verse 7, For he that is dead is freed from sin. 
This is speaking of being dead to the law of sin and death through the sacrifice of Christ, the Lamb of God, who satisfied the law and God's justice and the way He suffered for us on the tree when His body was made sin for us as He suffered that great, great punishment due to us to satisfy the wrath of a holy and righteous God who cannot look at sin. Now, if verse 8, if we be dead with Christ, we believe that we also we shall also live with him. Being dead to sins, we being dead to sins in Christ When the body is laid down, it sins no more. We'll know not sin again. We'll never be dead in sin. Well, if you're born of the Spirit, you'll never be dead in sin again, period. But we'll never be tempted by sin. We'll never be overtaken by sin. We'll never be hurt or sick because of sin again. That's when the body is laid down. Christ laid His body down. Christ died for us. Therefore, we are dead to sin while we live in this world. So let us live unto righteousness. To gain eternal life? No. No. But yea, rather, because we have eternal life. Because God loves us. Because God sent His only begotten Son born of the virgin to suffer, bleed and die for us. God cannot suffer. God cannot age. God cannot fail. God cannot die. But Christ came as the man, Jesus Christ. The living Word of God came as the man, Jesus Christ. And suffered a horrendous, horrendous death upon the cross of Calvary. Why? Because He loves you. I can't love like that. I don't don't have the ability. You know, people say a soldier has a great love in order to be willing to die. And you see these that have lost limbs or lost sight Lost both legs, sitting in a wheelchair for the rest of their life. Did they have a love of country? Is that why they fight? It's a lot of it. Was it a love for their family? That's a lot of it. Why do the police go do what he does? Well, I guess I had a love in it somewhere, but mine was mostly a hatred of evil, and that's an honest fact. But. Love. You love your people. You love your family. You love your state, your nation, your society. You love your church. There's nothing like being shot at. Bullets bouncing off the hood of the car as you're running 150 miles an hour going down the interstate. You don't think about love at that time. That's what it boils down to. But brother, we cannot begin... No matter what we do in this body, to love like Christ loves us. You want to talk about anxiety? Christ has no beginning. He's the eternal Word of God, the eternal Son of God. There's never been a time He did not know and have a passion to come into this world and suffer and bleed and die. There is love beyond human expression, as the song says. Who His own self bear our sins in His own body on the tree that we being dead to sins should live unto righteousness by whose stripes ye were healed. Stripes, beaten of His own. And in His stripes, 
We're healed from sin. He's borne our sins. He's borne our transgression. He's borne our sickness and disease. Through His suffering, He has saved us from all things. For ye were as sheep going astray. We had a lamb once. I don't remember what happened to him. Did we? But they weren't bright, which is perhaps why we give it back. We had goats. They'd all escape and run away. Look in a goat's eyes. There's nothing in there. It's empty. Think about that with sheep and goats. But we, back to Isaiah 53, were a sheep that had gone away. We had left the shepherd's care. Jesus, John 10, I am the good shepherd. What does a shepherd do? A shepherd protects the sheep. A shepherd loves the sheep. A shepherd leads the sheep to higher pastures, greener grass, in essence feeds them, takes them to have drink, supplies their every need. He is our shepherd. All these things are done to us in Christ and through His suffering. And bishop of your souls... A bishop, an overseer. The church, now you think about the Constitution and our government and why it was derived by one of our forefathers who went to a Baptist church, I believe. <clears throat> Forgive my memory, I can't call his name. I'm trying to say Adams, but I can't promise that. We govern ourselves by this book of Scripture that God gave us, just like our nation is to be governed by the Constitution. But our King is in heaven. Our ruler is in heaven. Our Lord is in heaven. He has brought us back to Him because we have been returned to our Shepherd who watches after us, loves us, protects us, feeds us, cares from us, provides all we need. And believe me, we need absolutely nothing else.